For those that may be listening for the first time, our podcast is an offshoot from our main platform, YouTube. Our channel is called Coffee and Bible Time, where our goal is to help people delight in God's word and thrive in Christian living. We also have a website and storefront with Bible studies, prayer journals, courses, and more. And I'm so excited to tell you about our brand new in-depth Bible study academy. Have you always wished that you knew how to study your Bible in-depthly for yourself, but you just don't have time to go to Bible college? Well, join us this year as we adventure through 12 different courses designed to give you the background and the tools to study the Bible for yourselves. You can find out more information about the Academy on our website at coffeeandbibletime.com. I'm Mentor Mama, and today we are going to be talking about sustainable practices that can help individuals reset their old ways of thinking, which can lead to meaningful change. You know, sometimes our unhealthy habits and attitudes can hold us back from completely relying on the Lord and really walking in the renewed strength that only He can provide. So are you trying to depend too much on your own willpower rather than relying on God's willpower? If so, you might feel like you're stuck in a cycle of trying to improve yourself, but you're not seeing any actual progress due to the old ways of thinking and doing things. Well, our guest today, Deborah Folletta, author of the new book, Reset, Powerful Habits to Own Your Thoughts, Understand Your Feelings, and Change Your Life, is here to share with us tools rooted in God's Word that we can apply to our lives today to break free from old habits that might be holding us back from real spiritual growth. Deborah Folletta is a licensed professional counselor and national speaker specializing in relationships and marital issues, as well as mental and emotional health. She is the author of six books and host of the Love Plus Relationships podcast, where she is passionate about spreading the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. She is also the creator of the popular relationship advice blog, truelovedates.com, reaching millions of readers with her candid yet compassionate style, which combines psychology with faith. She's also the founder of the Deborah Folletta Counselors Network, helping people heal from the inside out. Please welcome Deborah. Thank you. It's so good to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you on to talk about this topic of helping people get out of unhealthy cycles and into life-giving new patterns. So tell us, you've written a number of different books on a variety of topics. What was your thought process behind writing recently? Yeah. You know, the past couple of years have been difficult on a lot of people, and I think especially with 2020 there was a lot of stress and a lot of pressure going on underneath the surface of our lives. And, you know, human beings are kind of like a volcano. We we have all this pressure that's brewing and building underneath the surface. And then all of a sudden, that pressure has to go somewhere. It just builds and builds and builds. And just like a volcano, it has to be released. And so usually that pressure will find the path of least resistance 
and come up to the surface of our lives. And that can be in the form of depression or anxiety or relationship conflict or anger and rage, bad habits, addictions, things that we struggle with all of a sudden that kind of come up to the surface of our lives. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that there are things happening that we need to deal with and address. And what's interesting though is, you know, we're in 2023 now, right? So a lot of people have been surprised, like, wait a second, I got through 2020 and I got through 2021 and 2022. Why all of a sudden am I now struggling? Why am I struggling not being able to sleep? Why do I have anxiety? Why do I have depression? Why am I back to this addiction in my life? Why am I having all these negative thoughts? It's because when you go through trauma, your body is in survival mode. It is trying to survive. It's not trying to process the trauma. It's just getting through. It's kind of like when a soldier goes off to war, it's not on the battlefield that the symptoms come up. It's later on when life is safe and secure that all of that trauma begins to resurface. And I think I'm seeing the same thing happening in our country today where all of the trauma and the stress and the pressure that we've been through, well, we were in survival mode then, but now that life is starting to feel a little bit more safe and secure, all of a sudden, unexpected things are coming to the surface of our life. And so as I'm seeing this in the counseling office, working with hundreds and and even thousands of clients, I just felt like the Lord really pressed on my heart this idea of reset. It's time to do it differently. It's time to deal with all of the things that are going on underneath the surface that are starting to impact us. It's time to heal from the inside out. So it's a book of 31 practices that guides you into the process of going underneath the surface and healing from the inside out. Hmm. Thank you so much for that, that reason for writing your book. It's what a great analogy too, with the, uh, with the, um, the war veteran and later on coming back and just having everything break loose. You know, I actually, when I was reading your book, I had this laugh out loud moment when you were talking about the story about your car being a lemon and it was kind of this idea, right. Of being underneath. Can you just briefly share that with us and tell us how that um, impacts our thoughts. and actions. Yeah. I started the book by writing in the introduction about my lemon of a car that I had in college. I had this crazy car that just was constantly causing me grief. It was breaking down at the most random, unexpected, inconvenient times. And then the strangest things would happen. Like the windows would just roll down out of nowhere. The, the alarm would just start to blare the windshield wipers would just go off, you know, on a sunny day while I was driving. And it was really frustrating. Uh, but, but here's the thing about that car. I could have dealt with those external symptoms by muffling the car alarm. I could have duct taped the windows shut. I could have taken off the windshield wipers and had them stop, you know, working. But that would only be superficial change. And, and the same thing with us as human beings, we often seek out superficial change when there's something in our life that's bothering us or something that we want to get rid of or something that we're not doing well. When we want to change, 
we often start externally. And that's one of the reasons why we fail to change permanently. You know, around this time of year, I think I read a statistic that over 95% of New Year's resolutions at this point have bombed. Like they're in the gutter. Nobody cares anymore. It's because oftentimes we try to change externally without going underneath the surface, without getting to our underlying motivations and feelings and thoughts that are leading us to behave in a certain way. And just like that car, I couldn't fix it superficially. I had to take it into the shop. The mechanic had to look under the hood and figure out what was going on underneath the surface. And, and when he finally did that and uncrossed some of those wires that had been crossed and the things that weren't working properly, the external change came. And so this is the work of healing. It's not just about changing our external situation. Even things as basic as I want to lose weight. Well, you can clean out your pantry and you can get a gym membership. But if you don't get to the root of your underlying thoughts and beliefs about yourself, the feelings that are causing you to run to food in the first place, you're never going to be able to meet your goals because true healing is holistic. It's not just external, but it's internal as well. And so Reset is a book that my hope and prayer is that it guides us into the process of healing one layer at a time, getting to the roots of some of our underlying thinking and how it impacts how we feel, which then impacts what we do. Yes, oh, absolutely. It's just it's so critical to to start on the inside. But you're right; we put band aids on right. everything. <laughs> and oh my! Well, one of the things that I loved at the very beginning of the book as well that you told people to do was to take a pause. And I think for those that are listening today, that what you brought up, I think, is just such a point where we don't take this time to pause and listen and hear what God has to say. So can you tell us a little bit more? Explain yeah. That? You know, it's funny because I think the introduction of reset is really motivating. It gets you pumped up and ready to change and ready to do it differently. And it's like, let's dive into the process of healing. And then you get to the first practice and it's, pause. It's like, wait a second. It kind of throws you off. Wait a second. You, I'm ready to go. Ready, set. And then I tell you to pause. And I think it, it, it feels counterintuitive for people who are ready to go to just pause. But pausing is the prerequisite to change. Like we have to take the time to pause and tune out the external noise to tune in to what God is saying to us and what he's revealing to us and where he wants us to change. The Bible says to be still and know that I am God. And in order for us to, to, to be on the same page, to be aligned with the heart of God, we've got to take the time to pause and tune in because it's not just about what we want to change. It's also about what God is leading us to change, where he's convicting us where he's spotlighting certain areas in our life that need to be healed. And if we just are constantly in go, 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 we're never going to actually be in tune with what's happening in our internal world. 
which is where change begins. You've got to have insight and understanding. One of my favorite verses in scripture, if I had to take a verse that kind of condenses everything I do as a counselor, it would be Proverbs 20 verse five. And it says the purposes of a person's heart are like deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. You have to have insight to draw out the depths of the purposes of your heart. Why you do what you do is like deep waters, but a person of insight draws them out. You cannot have insight and awareness of what's happening inside unless you take the time to tune in. And as you probably read, you know, every single one of the practices in reset comes with an activity, something that you actually have to do. It's not just a book that you read through. It's a book that you work through. And, you know, at the end of that chapter, I have you actually pause for 10 minutes, turn off your phone, get in a quiet place, find a comfortable seat and start to tune in. And you'll realize how hard it is because all you have all these thoughts buzzing around in your head. There's all these noises. There's all these impulses to pick up my phone or to pick up a book or to turn on music. Just being still for even 10 minutes is a practice that most of us have never done. And so learning to to be aware, learning to, to practice being still and pausing is really the prerequisite, the first step towards actually beginning to change and heal. Yeah, and I actually underlined that section there where you said your mind will wander and you'll continually have to redirect it back to a posture of pausing and listening and you also kind of alluded to the fact that, um, you know, that may be one of the obstacles that we're having to hearing that still small voice of God, right? Is if we're not taking time to do that practice, but I'll be the first to admit that it is really hard for me. And my mind is just going a million miles an hour, even if I am just sitting right. there. It's true. <laughs> it, it, it takes work and discipline and practice. I think it takes a lot of practice to begin to to tune out what's going on around us and tune into what God is saying and what he's revealing and, and where he wants to partner with us in the journey of healing. Yeah. Well, you had indicated that asking for help is sometimes hard. (laughs) It puts us in this vulnerable place what, what would you suggest to someone who is is hurting and needs to ask for help? Yeah, I, you know, I, I did an Instagram poll recently where I asked people, what is it that prevents you from asking for help? And the number one thing by far was fear. Fear of rejection, fear of appearing weak, fear that the person's going to say no and, and that I'm not going to feel valuable. Fear that I'm going to come across in a way that I don't want to come across. I mean, we're, we're just so filled with fear that oftentimes we would rather stay stuck in isolation than reach out for help. Uh, but, but the beautiful thing is that God made us for community. He, he knows that we need help. I mean, even in Genesis, it talks about providing a helper because we need to help one another as human beings. I mean, God was present with them. Yet he still felt the need to offer them a helper. And I think there's something really profound there for us to realize, like life is not a one player game. And oftentimes we try 
and try and try to do it on our own and we fail. And that's why I think real healing has to happen in the context of community. Maybe not necessarily a hundred people, but even one or two people gathered together. There is power there in companionship and community. The, the people who are most successful in breaking free from addictions are the people who do it in community. That's why groups like AA, for example, are so powerful. It's less about what they're teaching and more about the fact that they're doing it in community. They're doing it together. There is a partnership there. And, and, and truly a huge part of healing for us is finding people to join with us on the journey of healing, inviting people into the process of healing is one of the best ways that we're actually going to change our lives and be transformed. Yeah. I know for, from my perspective too, it also, I think builds this greater sense of intimacy. Yeah. I know like in, in our small group, when people have been vulnerable enough to ask for help, like I feel like that has really kind of broken a level of closeness that we've been able to share once um, that you're happens. You're right. You're, you're almost, we, you're weaving your lives together when you ask for help because the best and healthiest relationships are always made of give and take. If you're constantly giving, but you don't know how to receive, you are preventing intimacy because give and take is what weaves two people together in intimacy and connection. And so I think it's important that we give, but just as important that we learn to receive if we actually want to create strong intimate relationships in our lives. And if you look around and you're thinking, I don't have strong relationships, there's a good chance. It's because you give, 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 but ask for very little in return, receive very little in return. You don't share your needs. You don't ask for help. You don't invite people to come alongside of you. And so it's a really important part to healthy relationships. Yeah. One of the things that you also talk about in the book is the phrase, time heals all wounds. <laughs> Tell us about why you said that that's one of your least favorite phrases. Well, I think it's a myth <laughs> that time heals all wounds. I think we want to believe that time heals all wounds, but certain wounds, especially emotional wounds, when left with time alone, will only get infected. They'll only get worse with time. If you have this awful wound on your body and you just let it go, it's going to get worse. It will get infected. It could harm the rest of your body. That's why it's so important to tend to your wounds. It's not time that heals all wounds. It's Jesus who heals all wounds. And not only that, we need to partner with him to make the best use of that time in order to heal those wounds. And so we've got to really realize that just repressing our wounds, ignoring them, stuffing them, pretending like they didn't really hurt that much is actually not helping us. It's burying the pain. And I always tell my clients, if you want to preserve your pain, if you want to make it last a very long time, you bury it. Because anything you bury will last forever. It will be preserved for far longer 
if you actually want to heal it, you begin revealing it. You bring it up to the surface of your life. You own it. You face it. You confess it. And you begin to deal with it. Because if you actually want to heal from an area, you've got to reveal it. And this is why in Reset, I I believe it's the second or third chapter where I talk about the next step is really just owning our weakness, owning our struggle, acknowledging what it is in our life that we really need to change and naming it and facing it and owning it because otherwise we're just burying it. We're making light of it. And it's going to last a lot longer than when we bring it up to the surface and say, this is not healthy. This is something I struggle with. This is something that I want to change and heal in my life. So it's not just about time. It's about what we do with that time. Yes, absolutely. And one activity that comes to my mind is just that people who have gone through the grief share program, I mean, I know that, you know, burying the pain of losing someone that we love deeply, that's easy, easier to do. And I, I really applaud those people that take the time to go to grief share and really process that. And I'm sure that that's just so helpful in the going forward. Yeah, for sure. And, and not only that, but you know, if you think about it, every one of us has past pain. We all have trauma. We have things in our life that have happened in our childhood and in our family of origin and things that affected us developmentally lies that the enemy comes in and plants in some of the most vulnerable seasons of our life where, where we're hurting and where we're wounded and, or where people have hurt and wounded us. And oftentimes we don't do a good job making the connection of how those wounds from the past impact who we are and what we do today. And when we don't make the connection and begin to heal some of those wounds, we find that our past starts to seep into our present. We, we live with lies that we were never intended to live with. So this doesn't just impact our past. It impacts how we do life today and the healing that, that we can receive today. And, and, and even the behaviors that we're involved in today, oftentimes they do have something to do with the things that we believed from the past. So, so when, when, when we talk about healing, there's a formula that I want you to remember. And it's this, your thoughts and beliefs lead to your feelings and your feelings lead to your behaviors. And and a lot of times getting to the roots of those unhealthy thoughts means that we've got to go back it, to, to certain places in our past, to certain wounds, to certain hurts and experiences where the enemy started planting lies. We've got to go back and heal so that we can find freedom in the present today. Learn what theology is and how to study God within the Bible in course number seven of our in-depth Bible study academy. In this academically built course, you will learn the tools to study God's character and nature within a Bible passage and how to grow closer to God relationally through Bible study. This course titled Theology, Knowing God Through In-Depth Bible Study is packed with teaching lessons, homework, quizzes, and a resource list for personal study. 
Head to our website, coffeeandbibletime.com, to learn more about the Academy and course number seven today. Use promo code CBT Podcast, that's CBT Podcast, to get 50% off this course right now at coffeeandbibletime.com. Yeah. And one of those things I think people that are running from are the triggers uh, that, you know, cause the pain. Can you tell us why it's important for us to sort of face those um, as opposed to running away from them? Well, think about the word trigger. It's a very popular word in our culture today. Like we're triggered by everything from politics to presidents to pastors. I mean, everything triggers us. We're triggered by sermons. We're triggered by social media. We're triggered by so many different things. What is a trigger? First of all, a trigger is when we have a strong, exaggerated emotional response to something. It's an exaggerated emotional response. And then it's almost always negative. You know, It's like one of those things where you look back and you're like, why did I get so mad? That was, I kind of blew up there. You know, it is an exaggerated emotional response. A trigger is, is, is those times in our life where the emotions kind of come bubbling up to the surface in, in an exaggerated way. Another way that I like to define triggers is I call them emotional sore spots. Think about a time in your life where you got an injury or a bruise. You know, the other day I was leaving the house with my four kids in tow and it's like, it's like a full Olympic event trying to get out of the house in time with four kids. You've got all these things, the diaper bag, the snacks, the water bottles, the socks and shoes. And, and I'm running out the door in a rush and I hit my shoulder on the coat rack on the way out the door. And it just hurt so much. I knew it was going to leave a black and blue mark. I just knew it. And later that day, my husband came over to put his arm around me and he touched the black and blue spot without realizing it was there. And I winced, I pulled away. Ow, that that hurt. He didn't cause the sore spot, but he pushed on it. He pushed on it. He pressed on it. And it's the same thing with the triggers in our life. Triggers are usually a sign of a previous injury a previous hurt, a previous wound. There's something there underneath the surface. And when somebody pushes on it by what they say or how they act or what they do or something I read or smell or taste or touch, all of a sudden I'm triggered. All of a sudden that pain comes back to the surface of my life. And that's what a trigger is. But we live in a culture that tells us to avoid anything that triggers you. You know, if that book triggers you, stop reading it. If that friend says something triggering, cut them out of your life. If that pastor says something that triggers you, stop going to that church. But what if triggers were actually revealing of what needs to be healed in our life? What if triggers were God's way of spotlighting an area, a sore spot that needs deeper healing? An area where God's like, listen, I want you to pay attention to this wound. There is a wound here that needs to be healed. Instead of just avoiding everything that triggers us, what if we were to learn from our triggers and see what God was revealing to us that needed to be healed? 
So I spend a lot of time in reset talking about our triggers and why they're actually an important part of the healing journey. We need to be aware of the things that trigger us. And oftentimes those triggers end up causing us to go back to those unhealthy behaviors. You know, when you're working with somebody who's caught an addiction, oftentimes they'll say, well, that experience triggered me. And then I went to drink alcohol or that experience triggered me. So then I went and looked at porn because that feeling is a symptom of something deeper. And, and sure, we can allow our triggers to push us towards unhealthy things, or we can learn from our triggers and realize that there's something going on underneath the surface. God is spotlighting an area for me to heal. And instead of being scared of our triggers or running from them, I actually think we can be grateful for them because God in his mercy is spotlighting something that he wants to heal an area where there's more healing to be received. And I think that's just a really beautiful thing. Yes. Oh, I love that sort of changes my whole, you know, image of, like you said, it kind of comes with a lot of bad connotations. And, but when you think of it in that, those terms, um, that it could be a blessing right, in disguise, right? right? It's an invitation <laughs> to a deeper level of healing. God is saying, I'm trusting you. I'm inviting you to a deeper level of healing than you've ever had before. And I think that's just a really empowering way to look at triggers. Yeah. As we go about doing that, you indicate that we need to own our own junk. Tell us how that kind of ties into yeah. that. Well, isn't it so much easier to own everybody else's junk? <laughs> I mean, that's just human nature. It's like, well, I know his issues. I know her issues. She should, she could really work on that. And I think oftentimes it's so much easier to look at what everybody else is doing wrong and what everybody else is bringing to the table rather than what we're bringing to the table. And I think that's why in the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, first remove the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But don't start with your brother start with yourself. And I think the same goes in relationships and situations. I need to have a role. And I actually think that's a very empowering thing. No matter what type of conflict or situation you're in, you have a role. But the beautiful thing is if you have a role, you actually also have control. If you have a role, there's something you can do to change the situation. If you have no role, then all of a sudden you're the victim. There's nothing you can do. If you have no role, there's nothing you can change. There's nothing you can impact. There's nothing you can influence. There's nothing you can heal. And I think that is a very sad place to be. I would much rather have a role in this situation. What can I heal? What can I change? Where can I transform? How can I respond differently? Where can I set boundaries? How can I change my tone, my attitude, my expectations? When I have a role and I can own my junk, I actually have power to influence my situation. And so some people might have a hard time wanting to see their role in it, especially in relationships that are harder, you know, where somebody maybe has 90% of the role. But even if you have 10% of a role in the situation, if you can own your portion of it, 
it empowers you to make a change and to do it differently. And so I think a, a big part, a necessary part of healing is being able to look at our own life and see what it is that we need to take ownership of. Yeah, that's very powerful way of looking at it and t- uh, taking responsibility is so important. Well, I want to just dive in a little bit deeper on what you've started to allude to there with emotions. Emotions can be very uncomfortable to deal with and to even, quite frankly, understand and communicate to others. So tell us about how do we go about doing that, evaluating our emotions yeah. What's interesting about it is that when you become a Christian, you don't automatically wake up the next day with a six pack. You don't have biceps. Your cholesterol levels aren't all of a sudden balanced and your blood sugars and your BMI. Like there is work to become physically healthy even after you come to Jesus. And the same thing goes for our emotional health. There is work in order to become emotionally healthy. You don't just snap your fingers the day after you come to Jesus and all of a sudden your muscles, your emotional muscles need to be where they are. There's a process, there is work, there is practice, there is learning and growing and being in tune. And I think oftentimes the area of emotional intelligence is something that we kind of neglect. We we often fixate on spiritual health and spiritual growth at the neglect of emotional health and emotional growth. But I really think that a lack of emotional health stunts our spiritual growth. Like we can only go so far spiritually if we're not also growing emotionally and being in tune to our emotional health because it it impacts so many parts of our lives. And, And, you know, even Jesus was an emotional person. When we think of Jesus, oftentimes we think, you know, almighty God, all powerful. He was like the perfect person. And, and, and we think of him in all of these ways, but do we actually think of him as an emotional person? Because according to biblical scholars, Jesus expressed and experienced 39 different emotions, just looking at scripture alone. That's a lot of emotions. It's not the emotion that's bad or good. Even something like worry or fear or sadness or grief or even anger, it's not the emotion that's bad or good. It's how we respond to the emotion. So the Bible says, in your anger, don't sin. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says, okay, anger is a spotlight. Anger is a signal. In your anger, still make a good choice. Don't sin. And and so it's not what we do. It's not the emotion that's bad or good. It's what we do with that emotion. And and when you look at Jesus, he just responded to his emotions in such a God-honoring way. When he felt grief at the death of his friend Lazarus, he looked up to heaven in, in gratitude. Thank you, Father, were the next words out of his mouth. When he felt anger, he responded with acts of justice. When he felt worried in the Garden of Gethsemane, he responded by going to the Father and asking for help. He always responded to his emotions in a healthy way. When he felt exhaustion, he climbed on a boat and took a nap. 
Like I'm going to respond to this emotion in a healthy way. And so I think we have to do a much better job of being in tune to our emotions. And that's why the subtitle of Reset is Powerful Habits to Own Your Thoughts, Understand Your Emotions, and Change Your Life. Because it really does go in that order. Our emotions are a signal. They're a spotlight. They're like the check engine light saying, hey, there is something going on here that you need to pay attention to. And oftentimes we just want to ignore them or pretend they don't exist or discredit them. And I'm not saying every emotion is true. Our emotions are real, but they're not always telling us the truth, but they're still a signal of something going on underneath the surface that we need to pay attention too. So, so even anxiety is a signal of something going on underneath the surface. Depression, grief, anger, frustration, all of it's a signal. And we just have to learn to be aware of our emotions and respond to them in a healthy way. And so in Reset, there's chapter after chapter after chapter. A very large portion of it is, is committed to helping you unpack some of those emotions, name them, recognize them, and then begin to get in tune with what they're telling you so that you can learn from them and learn to respond in a healthy way. Mm, That's so important. You know, one thing that's coming to my mind is I'm involved in this uh, Kids Hope USA program, which is a mentorship where you go into the school. And and what one of the things they have us do is to start out that conversation by showing, I have a second grader, a picture of all these different faces and asking them, how are you feeling? And even for me, when I looked at like all of the options that were on there, there's so many more, I think, than you're right. We think of like sad, mad, happy, you know, and, and really there's over 500 emotions. One of the resources that I offer you in reset is a link to a chart of over 500 different emotions so that you can even begin to look through that and say, okay, what do I feel? How do I begin to name this? How do I begin to recognize them? Because there's a lot of emotions and God has given us emotions to signal us to give us perspective, to guide us, to, to help us make sense of the big picture. They're a portion of the equation of our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are part of that important equation. So we really do have to understand if you want to change your behaviors, you cannot do it without understanding your emotions. It's impossible for long-lasting life change to happen without that portion of the equation. Uh. That's a good reminder for all of us, everyone who's listening, including myself. Um, let's not, yeah, ignore it, sweep it under the rug. Let's start to take ownership of it. Well, as we start to wrap up this portion of the interview, tell us your thoughts, Deborah, on the person that you really um, hope will read this and what what is your hope for their takeaway yeah. as they finish your book? Well, My hope is that this book is picked up by anybody who can recognize an area of their life that they want to change, whether it's something simple, like they want to lose some weight or exercise more or read more books or whatever it is, whether it's something simple or something significant, maybe they're dealing with an addiction or anxiety or past trauma. 
If there's something in your life that you want to change and you've tried before and failed, I think it's time to try in a different way. I think I really believe that this is going to be the year of resetting and doing it differently with a different plan. And so that's my hope. And, you know, I think all of us should have an area of our life that we want to change. I think if we get to a point where we're done changing, like I can't think of anything, I would worry because life is a, is, is this journey of sanctification. It's this journey of transformation and becoming more and more like Jesus. And so I, I really hope and pray that this is the year of healing. I really believe that God is bringing things to the surface of our life in his mercy to invite us into a deeper level of healing. And that's what I'm believing for each and every person who picks up this book, that it would help you enter a deeper level of healing than ever before. Hmm. Thank you so much for that. That's so incredible that God has designed our bodies such that we can, we do have the ability. I think you pointed that out at one point, just how really miraculous our bodies are, that we do have the ability to process things and um, move on, so to speak. Well, Deborah, how can people learn more about you and Reset? Yeah, you can grab a copy of Reset anywhere books are sold on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Christian Book or Target, wherever you get your books. Uh, you can also connect with me on Instagram, Deborah Fileta, F-I-L-E-T-A. And the same with my website, DebraFileta.com is where you'll find all the books, resources, and my counselors network. I have a team of licensed counselors who are led and supervised and trained by me. And we offer one-on-one -on -one sessions to help you in the journey of healing Christian counselors who are trained and love the Lord and are just really good at what they do. Um, we also have reduced rate counselors for people where budget might be an issue. So you can find all about that and my podcast at DebraFileta.com or my relationship advice blog at truelovedates.com. Ah, fantastic. We will include all of those links in our show notes. Before we go, I just want to ask you some of our favorite questions here for our guests. What Bible is your go-to Bible and what translation is it? I would say the NIV is my favorite. Okay. Yep. I used that one for many years. Do you have any favorite journaling supplies or anything that you like to use to enhance your Bible study experience? I definitely am a big journaler. And it's funny because in different seasons, I would journal online, which eventually turned into my very first ever blog posts when I was, you know, in my late teens and early 20s. Um, and, and I will say, I really believe that the discipline of journaling for so many years, every single day is what led me to become an author. And now six books, I'm working on number seven. I really believe the discipline of tuning in and writing down what you feel like the Lord is speaking has been one of the things mm. that have propelled me as an author. So I'm so grateful for the journaling process and what God has taught me through it. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. Lastly, what is your favorite app or website for Bible study tools? I am loving version. I'm sure a lot of people are. Uh, I've been doing the Through the Word Bible Plan 
Um, I'm grateful to to have some Bible plans on there, but but I am so blessed by all of the other Bible reading plans, just hearing from different authors speaking into different parts of God's word. Um, I love going through the Bible chronologically, so I've done that Bible reading plan. Uh, there's just so many different ways to engage in God's word. And so I'm so grateful for apps like version that can help us do that. Yes, absolutely. Well, we will put links to all those things in our show notes. Deborah, thank you so much for being willing to share these life-changing practices that really can help people overcome any obstacles that might stand in their way of making lasting Well, thank change. you for having me. You're welcome. And for our listeners, pick up a copy of Deborah's book, Reset. You'll find the link in our show notes. Lastly, head over to the Coffee and Bible Time website for our prayer journals that will help guide and document your prayer life at coffeeandbibletime.com. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We love you all. Have a blessed day.